And this is why I love 1115, because we didn't know, there was no clapping at 915, and there was no clapping on uh, Saturday night uh, at 530, but you guys are off the chain. You're excited. You're pumped. I think you had a little extra sleep, a little extra coffee, and so uh, you're very, very engaging. Hey, if you're a guest with us here today, my name is Danny, and uh, this is Emmanuel Church, and we love to have fun, and we love to see what God has planned for our lives, and we dive into the Word of God, and we lay something challenging before you each and every week, and we hope that you'll join us and come back next week. So I'm pumped today because we're starting a brand new series called Relentless Pursuit. And what I want to do over the next four weeks is kind of share with you where God, where we believe, the leadership team, the elders, the staff, where we believe God wants to take us and what God wants to do over the next two years through our church. And so we're going to be talking about that. And along the way, we're going to discover a little bit about what makes our church tick. Like, like who are we? What's our, what's our DNA? Like, when you cut us, like, what, what does our blood look like? I mean, that's kind of gross, sorry. But uh, just like, like, what, like, if you opened up our soul, like, what, what do you see? Like, what, what are our values? What, what drives us? Why do we spend the money the way we spend it? Or why do we do services the way we do services? Or why do we invest in overseas in the way we invest overseas? And, and so it's going to be a kind of like a, a, a journey of discovery uh, during this next four weeks, as well as a picture of the future of what we believe God wants to do through us. You know, a couple of years ago, a guy came down after the 1115 service right here, and he said to me, what's going on around here? Like, why are all these people coming, and why does is, why is the atmosphere seem to be electric, and what's, what's really happening? And I, you know, honestly, I don't remember what I said in response to his question, but that question has stayed with me for quite some time. And I believe that, that I've kind of come to an answer, or, or what I think is an answer to that question, or why God's favor has been upon this church, and, and why over the last nine years we've grown from 900 people to almost 5,000 people on a, on a regular basis, and why we have two campuses, and why in 2015, uh, 2014, over 1,000 people put their faith in Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. That's incredible. And since... Since, since January of this year, 288, 300, sorry, 388 people have put their faith in Christ just since January 1st. It's unbelievable. Like, what, what is going on around here? The fact that the three major partners that we, uh, the partners that we have overseas in Nicaragua and Haiti and Colombia, over 1,000 people in the last two years have received Christ as their Savior through those partnerships. Is that not amazing? I mean, that's over 2,000 people in the last two years. And so it's just, what, like, what is happening? And honestly, here's my answer to that question, okay? I believe that God's favor is resting upon our church because, and there's probably more to it than this, but this is just, you know, in part, this is the answer. It's because what we've tried to do is align our hearts and our will with the heart and will of God. Like when, when we sit back and we plan services or we try to launch new initiatives or we try to make a new partnership overseas, we're talking about partnering with a, with a ministry in Africa perhaps over the next two years, a Muslim ministry. It's like when we sit back and we think about how to spend money or what we want to do or how we want to do things, we think to ourselves, God, what is your heart and your will? And what we want to do as a, as a church is align ourselves, not perfectly, but to the best of our ability to align ourselves with your heart and your will. And I believe because we've done that over the last nine years or so, that we've seen incredible results and incredible fruit. And so what I want to do today is kind of talk about what does that really look like and push down. Like, what does that look like to align our heart and align our will with the heart and will of God? Well, first, th first thing I want to point out to you is that we try to do that with people. With people. 
we've tried to look at God and, 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 and look at the scriptures and say, God, what's your heart for people? Just, just a human beings, every human being who's alive today. What is your heart and what is your will for them? And what we've discovered is that when we open the scriptures and we ask that question is that people are insanely valuable to God. And so what we've decided to do is just to develop this belief and this conviction that we believe or we're convicted that people are insanely valuable to God because people are insanely valuable to God. And so we've just said, okay, if that's your heart, if that's what you feel, then that's what we're going to feel, and that's what we're going to do, and we're going to make decisions financially, and we're going to make decisions as an organization based around this idea that people are insanely valuable to you. And so when you, when you look at what we do as a church, you have to look at it through the lens of this belief or this conviction. You know, it was, it was the Apostle John who who was close to Jesus. He was one of his inner three. I mean, he was so close to Jesus that when Jesus was on the cross, he looked at John and he said, look, behold your mother, my mother. And he gave John the job of taking care of Jesus' mother, of his own mom. Like Jesus was inside. He knew Mary. He knew Martha. He was one of Jesus' best friends on earth. And this is what John wrote in the, in the book of 1 John chapter 4. Watch this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life. We talked about that last week if you were here. That's life after death, but it's also abundant life right now. New abilities, new perspectives, and new emotions right here on earth, right? Watch this. He continues. This is real love. Not that we loved God. No, 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 no. God didn't express love to us because we had this amazing love for him. No, 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 no. But rather that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Like, you want to know what real love is? Real love is when someone lays down his life for somebody. In fact, Jesus said that in John 15. He says, there's no greater love than when a person lays down his life for his friends. You want to know how I feel about human beings? Just look at what I did. This is God speaking, God the Father. Just look at what I had Jesus do for every man, woman, and child living today. You have never laid eyes on a person for whom Christ has not died. Let me say that again because it's profound. You have never laid eyes on a person for whom Christ has not died. What does that say about that person? How valuable are they that God the Father would have his son put to death for them, that they might have eternal life? In fact, right now, I want you to look at the person to your right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Play along with me. Go ahead. Look at them. Look at them. Their profile might not be that attractive. That's okay. <laughs> Even though you might be married to them. <laughs> look at the person to your left. Yeah? That person, that person right there, to your right and to your left, is a person for whom Christ died. What does that say about them? What does that say about you? You are insanely valuable. They are insanely valuable. Bill Heibel said it this way, he's been a mentor from mine from a distance, he's a pastor of a ginormous church in Chicago. He said, you've never locked eyes with another human being who isn't valuable to God. Never one time. But we just, we've just tried to 
see people the way God sees them. That he had his son die for them. You know, one of my favorite passages, which oddly enough, I didn't plan it this way. If you're reading the one New Testament, <laughs> that's the passage I want to look at today. And I promise you I didn't plan it that way. But in Luke chapter 15, there's this story about Jesus and, and his critics. And, and, and he's explaining why he does what he does. And it's basically this story in Luke 15, or this passage in Luke 15. It really explains almost why we do everything we do around here. Jesus is, let's just look at it, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, this is what it says. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. This is Jesus, holiness embodied, perfection embodied, right? And, and sinful people, tax collectors, thieves were drawing close to him. People that were not like him, liked him. Isn't that interesting? And they're gathering around. Just to hear him teach. There was something about him that oozed out of him. That said, it's okay for you to be a sinner and be in my presence. And then look in verse 2. It says, but the Pharisees, the religious people, the righteous ones, they grumbled. Look what they said. This man, this man, this man eats with sinners. And, and, he, and he receives them. And, and he receives them by eating with them. Because back in those days, what, when you had a meal with somebody, you basically were saying, you can enter my world. I'm okay with you. This was, Jesus was breaking a social rule here. And so all of the religious people, are, they're going out of their minds. What is he doing? Doesn't he know that religious people and righteous people, they, they don't mingle. They don't mix with their religious people. People that don't go to the temple. People that steal. People that are prostitutes. People that do these different things. Righteous people don't hang out with those types of people. What is he doing? And so in response to their grumbling, Jesus tells three stories to explain his actions. Why did he take time during the day, maybe perhaps to leave his disciples behind or gather with his disciples and hang out with notorious sinners? Why would he do that? He tells the story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Let's go through the lost, the lost sheep. He says, to the, he says to his crowd, and they understood this illustration because some of them were shepherds. They said, which one of you, if you had 100 sheep, and one wanders away, wouldn't leave the 99 and go chase down the one until he finds it? And then with joy in his heart, he puts it on his shoulders, comes back, and tells his friends, hey, guys, let's throw a party. I found my lost sheep. And then Jesus says, likewise in heaven, there's more joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who do not need to repent. And then he talks about this story about ten coins and a woman who's got ten coins and she loses one. And back in those days what would happen is a father would give the daughter ten coins, ten expensive coins. And the daughter would make a headdress out of those coins. And then when, the, when she would get married she would offer the husband these ten coins and the husband would kind of receive that as a gift. And so these coins were insanely valuable. And so Jesus says, what would happen if she loses one of those coins? Wouldn't she, you know, light a lamp and sweep the whole house until she finally discovers and finds the coins? And when she does, doesn't she tell her friends, hey, I found my coin. Let's, let's rejoice and let's have a party. In the same way, when one sinner repents and turns from their sins, there is a party in heaven. And then Jesus tells perhaps the greatest story in the whole Bible, other than the gospel story itself, which the story is really a picture of the story of the gospel. He said, there's a father with two sons, and the son, the youngest son says to his father, dad, I want my inheritance early, which was a major insult to the father. You're supposed to wait until he dies before you receive your inheritance, but he says, I want it early while you're still alive. Takes his inheritance, goes off and spends it in riotous, wild living, 
and then he runs out of money. He's got nothing left. He's spent everything. A famine comes into the land. He's got no food. He hires himself out to a farmer. He finds himself one day in the middle of the field with the pigs. He's so hungry, he starts to look at the pig's food. He's in the, he's in the mud with the pigs, and he's tempted to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. And finally, in the middle of the mud, and isn't it, isn't it interesting that sometimes we got to get ourselves into some deep mud before we come to our senses? Isn't that unfortunate? <laughs> you know, it might be wiser to look at other people in the mud and say, man, I'm not going to wait until I get into the mud. But we don't. We're, we're stubborn. We're stubborn. We are. We're like sheep, Jesus would say sometimes. So there he is in the mud. No food. No money. And he comes to his senses and he says to himself, why don't I just go back to my dad's house? Because at my dad's house, there's like all these servants. They've got food. They've got clothing. They've got a warm place to sleep, a roof over their head. I know what I'm going to do. I'll go back to my dad and tell my dad, I was so, I'm sorry. I sinned against you. I sinned against heaven. I don't even want to be your son anymore. Just make me one of your hired servants. And so he gets up out of the mud and he starts off for home. Filthy, dirty. The Bible says when he was still a long way off, the father who is on the porch searching the horizon sees his son coming and does something very strange. Does something that back in those days Jewish men did not do. He starts to run towards his son. And the reason that Jewish men ba didn't run back then, part of the reason is because they, they would wear these long cloaks, almost like dresses. And so for a Jewish man to run back in those days, he'd have to, he'd have to gird up his loins and he'd gird up his skirt and start to run. And so he did. And he runs out to his son who's coming his way. And when, he, when, they, when they finally meet each other, the son starts into his speech. He says, Dad, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be. And his father cuts him off. He says, stop. He turns to his servant and says, go get a ring. Go get a robe. Go get some sandals. And kill the fattened calf because we are going to have a party. Because this son of mine, who was out of his mind, of course I'm paraphrasing right now, this son of mine who lost his mind and is out of his out of control is now home. He's found. We must rejoice. Jesus tells three stories to drive his point home, to, sh to, to hush his critics, to silence them. Why are you hanging out with notorious sinners? You should be in the temple with the righteous people. Jesus says, no, no, you understand, you understand. When something of extreme value is lost, it warrants an all-out search until it's found. Oh, I got to say it again in your notes. The, when, the, when the lost item is so valuable, when it's lost, it warrants a relentless search until it's found. Do you understand how valuable people are to me? When they are relationally disconnected from me, I will do whatever it takes to connect them back to Heavenly Father. Guys, don't you understand? That's why I came into the world to sacrifice myself on a cross, to reconnect people who were relationally lost. That's why I came. That's my purpose. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so what we've done over the last nine years is say, oh my gosh, let's align our hearts with the heart of the Father and create environments where people who are relationally lost, irreligious, not, not going to church, addicted to drugs, written off churches, boring, judgmental, and irrelevant, let's create environments where they can walk in and go, Wow. I like that. I'm not sure if I agree with the message. I'm not sure if I, how I feel about church. But when I went there, I felt something. And what you have felt is the same thing that people felt when they got around Jesus. You felt grace. That you could come as you are and be in his presence and not.
not be judged and not be looked down upon, but receive grace and forgiveness. You know, this week in our small group, my small group, a friend of mine was in there, and he, he, uh, he wasn't looking so good. So we said, what's up? You know, you don't look so hot. <laughs> he said, well, I had a rough day. I said, what happened? I said, we went to the park, my wife, my two kids, my daughter and my son. We're at the park having a great time. All of a sudden, we couldn't find our son. I said, what are you talking about? Well, he had wandered off. Thought my wife was with him, and all of a sudden, I started to panic. I've been there before. My son wandered off in the mall one time. Horrifying feeling. He said, I started to panic, and I thought, of course, you start thinking the worst, and there's like 20 other parents in the park, so I ran over to them. I said, hey, I can't find my son. I can't, can't find my son. So they all joined in the search. They, Jason, my friend, started running through the woods. This is on Main Street, right there at that park, right here in Greenwood. He starts running through the woods, screaming his son's name. His wife calls the cops. The police show up. This is a big deal. They're searching for 10 minutes. All the other parents have grabbed their children because they think there's some predator in the woods. And they're helping Jason search for his five-year-old son. The police get there. They keep searching, keep searching. Ten minutes go by. All of a sudden, a lady comes up to Jason and says, Hey, 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 is that your van over there? There's a boy in the van. <laughs> so Jason, my friend, goes over there and he, he had started up the car and had the radio going. <laughs> he was trying to text, but, you know, they were calling the police, you know. <laughs> and and he, he just said, bud, what's going on? He said, I just wanted to go home. <laughs> Ready to go home, done with the park. When something, when there's an item of extreme value, it warrants a relentless search until it's found. You want to know why we do what we do at this church, and why we do services the way we do it, and why there are names written down all over the place with silver marker, it looks like graffiti, and why we're doing multi-site campuses, and why we're supporting pastors overseas, and why we're doing missions projects all the time. You want to know why? It's because there's we're on a relentless search for valuable people. You are one of them. The person to your left is one of them. The person to your right is one of them. That's why we do what we do. We wanted to create environments of grace. So when we, when I, when we talk about, hey, the vision of our church in the next few years and where we want to go, you've got to look at it through the lens of that conviction, that belief, that value, that what we're going to do is align our hearts with Jesus, who, is the, who embodied grace. And the reason that sinners and notorious sinners would, would gather around is because they, they oozed grace. When they looked in his eyes, they didn't see judgment. They didn't see this look of, how could you do that? How could you sleep with those men? How could you gouge people's wages and charge them higher taxes and then pocket the difference after you pay off Rome? How could you do that? These are my people you're robbing. They didn't get that from Jesus. They got grace. They received mercy. And so I was looking forward, man, how do we, how do we going to proceed? How are we gonna, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on four key areas over the next, over the next two years that, that are going to advance God's kingdom in this world and continue to create environments where grace 
can be extended. And so let me work through this real quickly with you. Four, four key focuses over the next two years. The first thing we're going to do is continue to create a culture of groups. Where, where the expectation as you walk through these doors is that you will be in a group environment. The way we say it around here is that circles are better than rows. I love rows. And what you're, what you're in right now is a row. If you're in the balcony down here. And I wish that we could solve all of our problems with a sermon. Because I'm a preacher. Okay? And I, uh, my temptation is to look at the staff and say, well, just let me preach a sermon on that. It'll be fine. <laughs> Everybody will say, oh, what a good job. And then they'll go change, right? But, but <laughs> see, that doesn't work, does it? Because I know you, and what happens with you is you'll hear a sermon, and you'll mentally uh, agree with it, and then you'll leave here and do what? Nothing. <laughs> I hate to admit that, but I'm right there with you. Like, sometimes I hear a great sermon, like, man, I need to go forgive, and he said to forgive, and Jesus said to forgive, and I go out and I hold my grudge. Like, what's wrong with me? Well, I've got the same problem you have, right? So there's, a, there's, a, there's something broke inside of me. So when you're in a circle, the likelihood of you following through on your good intentions and being encouraged and having a, an opportunity to ask questions and all that stuff and have the Bible overlap with your life, all of that it, it can happen inside the context of a circle. Now, that's not a guarantee. What we're saying is it's, there's a higher likelihood that transformation, true Christ-likeness will happen within the context of a small group if... The small group is working correctly. And so we're endeavoring to, to, to figure all of that out. And we want to create a culture of groups. So we, basically what we've said is that at the end of two years, we want people to be asking this question right here. Whose group are you in? Not, are you in a group? Because that's, that's, that's assuming that you're not in a group. We want to assume that you're in a group. We just want to know who your group leader is. Oh, my group leader is so-and-so, so-and-so, and I've been in a group this long, and blah, blah, blah. Culture of groups because that's the environment because we believe that spiritual growth takes place or happens what's most likely to happen within the context of intentional relationships so what we've done is set a goal to go from 1050 people in groups is which where we're at right now to 2100 people in groups over the next two years we want to double the amount of people in our groups in two years very very exciting that's our first area of focus the second thing we want to do over the next two years is to continue to expand our practical needs efforts expand our practical needs efforts here's what i'm talking about locally we partner with some amazing ministries i'll just name a few shepherd community the refuge wheeler mission and and so what we want to do is give more money to those ministries so that we can meet more practical needs. I'll give you an example. This last year, we filled 700 boxes of food that fed 700 children over the Christmas break that were le not likely to eat any food because they're so poor and they rely on the school for breakfast and lunch. Okay? That's how poor some of these kids are downtown Indianapolis. So we snapped a picture of this. This is actually what our lobby looked like during the, during the project. It was awesome. Many of you were there. So what we want to do is continue to help people practically on the ground with things like food, with things like water. Overseas, we just had a team return from Nicaragua, a team of 40 people, and uh, led by Bill Llewellyn and his team, Hope Road, Nicaragua. And they sent me, Bill sent me a picture, and uh, this is actually a picture of, of uh, one of the pastors, uh, Pastor Erlen, and uh, this is Bill's wife, Kelly, and this is uh, Don Line. He's a member of the church here. He went, and that's, of course, our very own Aaron Beasley, our high school pastor, yeah, uh, is single. Uh, so, so, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have any hair, but, but he really does look good bald, if, you, if you've ever seen him. Um, but, but they got back, and uh, that's, just, that's just for Aaron. Love you, Aaron, if you're here. Wink, wink. Um, so, 
So, but he said, but this picture is unbelievable because what they were able to do is install three of these water filters. And I asked Bill, I sent him a text, I said, how many people does that help? You know, he said it gives 700 people in Nicaragua clean water. 700. He sent me a picture of the old filter. It was all nasty. It had fungus all over it. So, so, and so what we want to do is continue to pump funds and, 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 and invest in those countries to, to give people clean water and food and medical attention and, and eyeglasses and all these different things, both locally and globally. So what we want to do is go from 6% right now, every dollar, if you invest in this church, every dollar, six cents of every dollar goes towards practical needs efforts and missions work like that. We want to go from six cents to seven cents, 6% of our budget to 7% of our budget. Okay, that is an increase of about $4,000 a month. And so we want to do that over the next two years. And eventually we want to get to a full 10% of our budget going towards meeting practical needs and overseas missions. Is that not exciting or what? Does that fire you up? I hope it does, man. We're really, really helping people here. Now, number three, I want to, what we want to do is continue to focus on raising the value of service. Because I'll tell you, we will not advance God's kingdom in this world if more people do not grab a towel. You say, what do you mean by grab a towel? Jesus, in John chapter 13, grabbed a towel, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he washed his disciples' feet. He took on the form of a servant, the Son of God, God in a body, washed feet. And then he said this, John chapter 13, verse 15, I have given you what and what? Oh, come on. You guys aren't excited about this one, right? Because it's hard work. It's dirty. Feet? <laughs> right? Who likes to touch feet? Jesus did, right? I've given you what? A what? That you should do as I have done. That you should follow and do unto others as I have done for you. In other words, I'm not asking you to wash feet literally. Now, if you want to go ahead and wash your feet, you can, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I just want you to serve. I want you to stop being a spectator, and I want you to jump in and be a participant. I want you to have skin in the game. I want you to actually give back instead of always being on the receiving end. And so what we're going to do here is we've just acknowledged we need about 500 more people to grab a towel. Right now, we have about 500 people who do. We need to double that amount of people who are serving. So we've set a goal over the next two years to go from 500 to 1,000 by the end of 16. Just people serving everywhere. Greeting team, coffee team, weekend services team, children's team, middle school, high school, all different areas. We need you to jump in and grab a towel and go from being a, uh, a spectator to being a participant. That's number three. So you can hear more about that, opportunities to get involved and jump in and serve. Now let me talk about this last one, number four. This kind of goes along with what I was saying earlier, God's heart. We want to continue to reach more people with the gospel. Now, we want to do that locally, and we want to do it globally. Let me speak to the global, global reality. I, I've, been, I've been talking with each one of our ministry par partners here at, at the church, and I basically said, hey, how many people have come to Christ over the last two years in, uh, in Colombia through Exodo Church, in Nicaragua through Hope Road Ministries, and through ha uh, SMI Haiti in Haiti? And what, they, what these ministries have said is that over, in the last two years, over a thousand people combined have received Christ as their Savior. And so our, our strategy is to work through, primarily through pastors in the local church. That's not all we do, but we, we want to work through the local church and pastors. I'll give you an example, Pastor Angel. This is a picture of Pastor Angel and his wife. This is Exodo Church in Cartagena, Colombia. Uh, Pastor Angel was on the police force in, in, in uh, Colombia. 
after conversation and, and, and time, and we got to know him, we got to know what type of man he was, a person of integrity, we, we decided that we were going to ask him to leave the police force in Columbia and become a full-time staff member of Emmanuel so that he could focus on preaching the gospel and leading his church. So the church actually pays his salary. I, mis- I, I got it wrong in the first service. It's, uh, it's about $11,000 a year. Now, that might not seem like a lot of money to us, but in Cartagena, those, those U.S. dollars go a long way. So he's actually a staff member here at the church. Each week he has services for over, with over 250 adults and 100 kids. And, and uh, in the last two years, uh, 350 people have accepted Christ. And so what we're going to do is continue to fund and invest in pastors and local churches like Exodo Church and Pastor Angel. Now, that's what it looks like globally. We're going to do that in Nicaragua. We're going to do that in Haiti. But what about, what, that's what it looks like globally. What does it look like locally? Well, locally, we have stumbled upon, discovered, prayed about, I don't know, God's revealed it to us, this multi-site strategy. And a multi-site strategy locally looks like this. A multi-site church is very simple. It's one church with multiple locations. One church with multiple locations. It's putting an Emmanuel experience in your backyard or as close to your backyard as possible. Okay, it's not a, a mother church with a sister church. It's not a, a home church with satellite churches, not that. It's one church with multiple locations, having an Emmanuel experience in each town itself, okay? So what we've done in the last two years, we've launched our second site at the Banta campus, and the way we did that is we did a demographic study, and we figured out that we had over 1,000 people driving from north of County Line Road every week to the Greenwood campus. So we said, man, what if we put an Emmanuel experience in the backyard so those people wouldn't have to drive 20 minutes? So we raised the money, we did that, and last weekend there was 1,100 people there. Okay, that's crazy. 15 people accepted Christ all through a video screen. All through a video screen. You got to understand, this, this works. I had my doubts. I had my questions. Man, are people going to come watch a video screen? I actually had to go to Southeast Christian to see it for myself before I was a believer. And when I went to Southeast Christian and I saw the screen come down and I realized that the dude looked like he was actually there and I was laughing at his jokes and I was raising my hand when, I asked, when he asked me to, I thought, man, this could really work. And guess what? It's really working. So what we've done is another demographic study. You want to hear the result? Okay, so there's 900 of you that are driving from Franklin or south of Franklin to get to the Greenwood campus. That's what we've discovered. Yeah. Some of you are not excited about that. Some of you are very excited about that. We'll see. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. So what we want to do over the next two years, and it's fully cap- we're fully capable of doing this, is put in a manual experience in the Franklin area so that you can drive five minutes to that campus. But that's not only that. That's not the only reason. Why? Why else do we put a, a a campus there? It's not just for you. Here's what we've discovered about you. You're already willing to drive 15 minutes to get here. And by the way, it is a solid 15 minutes because there's a Starbucks in Franklin, and I have timed it. <laughs> From the door of this church to the Starbucks is 15 solid minutes. Okay, that's without traffic. So. So, but, but it's not just for you, right? See, if it was just about you, we would just have you stay here because we know you're willing to make the drive. Why would we put a multi-site in Franklin? Who's it for? The names, the people, the vision. People are insanely valuable. That's why we would put a, a multi-site in Franklin. Franklin, it's so that you could invite your friends and they're more likely to come to a campus that's five minutes away rather than 15 or 20 minutes away. Sure, they might come on Easter, 
they might come on Christmas, but we've never said we wanted to create Christers, did, have we? We, we? That's not our goal. <laughs> like, you can't get involved in the church if you're a Christer. You only come twice a year. You know what I'm saying? So we want to create people that, that are able to get involved in the life of the church, begin serving, get in a small group. You can't do that unless you live five minutes away. And so we want to put a location, we want to put an Emmanuel experience in your backyard. Isn't that exciting? Now, what's cool is that over two years, we're going to be able to do that. A permanent site. We don't know exactly how it's going to look. We don't have a piece of land picked out yet. We've looked at a couple of different pieces of land. We don't know if it's going to, if we're going to renovate a store, uh, a storefront or a strip mall, or if we're going to renovate an old church. Like, we don't know what it looks like yet, but we're looking. And we know that it's possible for us to do a permanent site in Franklin. Here's what else is exciting. In the meantime, that stuff takes time, and that stuff costs money, doesn't it? So it's going to take us some time to get there. In the meantime, something that has come up is very interesting. We've been talking with the Franklin Middle School, and I don't know exactly how all this came about. Of course, it's a God thing, but what we've come to discover is that the Franklin Middle School rents out their auditorium and their classrooms to churches. So we have the opportunity for a temporary time, for a short time period, to actually rent that space and launch our third campus as soon as this Christmas. Okay, so now all this idea was kind of fun. Everybody's talking about, oh, we could get in the school. It's all, oh, we can get started early. But I had to go see it myself. And so I went down there this last week just to kind of see it and feel it. We snapped a picture for you. Check this out. This is the picture of the auditorium in the Franklin, the old Franklin High School, which is right on 31. That's Steve Rouse. Everybody like Steve? He's, he's casting vision for me. <laughs> you got to see it. Right? And so we spent some time there. We looked at the auditorium. There's 760 seats in this auditorium. Isn't that amazing? And so there's classrooms on the first level. There's classrooms right above the auditorium for the kids' ministry and all that different stuff. And so what it's looking like over the next two years, as soon as this Christmas, we could do a temporary launch locally to reach more people for Christ in the Franklin Middle School. And then over two years, find that piece of property and build a permanent site in Franklin. Now, that is very, very exciting. You say, how are we going to pay for all that? Well, it's a great, it's a great question. Here's what's, here's what's really exciting. This past January, uh, this past December, we paid off RP2, which was the renovation of the lobby redesign, the coffee area and the bathrooms and all that stuff. That was a, a, a huge debt to us. We paid it off. Our last payment was in December. That was $40,000 a month gone. Is that crazy? Some of you aren't clapping. That is huge. That frees up a ton of money for us. To, so we've been saving that since January. And it's not, I mean, it's not all going to multi-site, but we've been saving a huge chunk of that. And so it looks like we're going to be able to do the temporary site plus the permanent site plus all of advancing the gospel in the, in, in, in the, our, with our partners overseas plus locally here for $91,000 a week. Now, that sounds like a lot of money. Well, our budget's already $81,000 a week. If you follow along in that bulletin there, you can see that. And so we're going to need a $10,000 increase per week in order to do all of that over the next two years. Now, you might think, wow, that's a lot of money. It is. But in the month of March, guess what we averaged? 90. We already did it. <laughs> we, already, we averaged $90,000 a week through the month of March. And I haven't even talked about a multi-site. I haven't even talked about expanding our practical needs in different countries. I haven't even invited you in to give to something beyond just this church. 
And so I believe this is a slam dunk. Like, like we can do this with, with in, my, in my heart, in my mind, I'm praying for $100,000 a week. Like, I, I really feel like, because there's a lot of you that haven't yet participated financially, that, and once you start, we're going to see this thing soar. We're going to be able to do incredible things. But $91,000 a week allows us to do all of it over the next two years. That is very doable for our church. We can do that. We can do that. You can do that. And so the question I have for you is, will, will you join us? Will you, will, you, will you join in? Will you be part of this movement, this incredible thing that God is doing? Here's five ways you can do it. Number one, you can pray. Pray. Pray, pray for wisdom. Pray for insight. Pray for a piece of property. Pray that we'd make the right decisions and pray that the resources would come in. Number two, serve. Jump in. You know, if, grab a towel if you're not serving. Man, get involved somehow, even if it's just greeting at the front door or something like that. You know, jump in and start serving. Number three, join a group or lead a group. Some of you are not in a group. You need to get in a group. But some of you have been in a group for years, and you need to go from being a group member to a group leader. So, man, how do you do that? We've got a whole system designed to help you take those steps. So we'll be talking about that more. Join a group or lead a group. And number four, relentlessly pursue your friends. Like, if, if you stop investing in people far from Jesus who've written off church and they don't want anything to do with God, if you stop doing that, we're done as a church. You know where we're going to grow? You know how we're going to grow? We're going to grow from other Christians leaving their churches to come to this church. And that's never, ever been what we're about, are we? Now, I know some of you came from other churches. We're not going to turn you away, for sure. But we want to reach those people that said, God, nope, I don't believe in them, don't want them, had a bad experience, haven't been. I don't want anything to do with it. We are chasing after those who are relationally lost, disconnected from Heavenly Father. We need you to pursue them with all of your heart. And then number five, join in financially. Participate financially. It's not going to take a lot, folks. It's not going to take a lot. I'm not going to put pressure on you. I'm just going to invite you into the journey. My wife and I give joyfully to this church. You want to know why? It, we, you want to know why we don't do it begrudgingly? It's because we know that lives are being touched all over the world. That they're being transformed. And I want to be part of that. I want to be caught up in God's journey and God's adventure of advancing his kingdom in this world. Now, I want you to see just a picture of what your money tends to do and what it, what it tends to create. It, it, what it does is it transforms people's lives. So I want you to hear the story of a friend of mine named Greg McBride. And his story captures everything we're trying to do here locally and also globally. Check out his story. My name is Greg McBride. <clears throat> and I came to Emmanuel after my family had been asking me to go almost every weekend for close to five years. It wasn't quite a daily request, but it was quite often. Um, and I kept hearing about Danny, and I was curious about it but not enough to make that step. And with them continuing to ask me over and over and over again to, to come, and I just, I wasn't hearing it, didn't want to hear it for whatever reason. Um, I had a lot of sin in my life, and that was probably what was keeping me from hearing that they wanted me to go and the good things that they were getting out of coming to Emmanuel. Before coming to Emmanuel and deciding to follow Christ, I was living my life the way I wanted to. I'd spent five or six years binge drinking, mostly on weekends. Um, and no matter how terrible a strain it put on my family, um, after losing my job, I'd still continue to behave the same way. Um, and it was March 22nd, 2014, uh, that I'd gotten arrested after 
drinking heavily that night. Um, and after a couple of days in jail, I really kind of, I'm going to say it was the Lord looking after me and finally smacking me with a big stick and saying it was time to wake up. Um, it was, that was, that was the day I decided to surrender. And I just, I knew I couldn't, I couldn't be in charge anymore. I couldn't steer my life anymore because I wasn't doing it right. So after a few phone calls to the family from jail, uh, begging and pleading for forgiveness, asking for them to give me another chance, uh, I'd mentioned coming to Emmanuel with them as a family because I knew I needed someone else guiding my life, not me. Um, and at first, I don't think that she really believed that I was sincere about doing this. I think she thought it was just a plea to be forgiven and come back home, and then things would go back to the way they normally were. And that wasn't my intention at all. I, I knew I needed to get to know our Savior, and I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own. So after five or six days in jail and getting home, everything was tense. Um, even with the kids, it was tense. Um, I think it was a Friday that I'd gotten out. So we went Saturday night and came home, and I felt like I kind of fulfilled the promise that I told her I would go. But my intent was deeper than just going. It wasn't just going and saying, see, I went. It was to continue going, to really get to know our Redeemer on a personal level. It wasn't just that first weekend. So I felt good that I'd, I'd, I'd went that first weekend, and, and I told her I would, and I went. Uh, but I was really looking forward to that next weekend. And it turns out that the following weekend was really the weekend that I'd, I'd I'd say accepted Jesus as my savior, but it was, I don't even know how to word it. It was just more of that surrender. It was, you're offering me this forgiveness and I need it and I want it. And that was, that was a really good weekend, that second, second service I went to Emmanuel. Throughout the five or six years that my wife and children had relentlessly requested that I come to church with them, uh, I would occasionally listen to Danny's podcast. And I heard what he was saying, but I really didn't hear his message and what he was trying to, to get across to me, how important it was that I accept Christ as my savior. So that second week when I actually said the prayer with him and really truly accepted Christ as my savior, that, that was it. That was the, the moment for me that I knew I'm on the right track. Since making the decision to accept Christ into my life as my savior, uh, Things have been much calmer in every little aspect of my life. Um, dealing with the kids, I'm a lot more patient. Um, I'm finding it, I've got a lot more joy in my life. Things aren't, they don't bother me as much as they used to. Um, <clears throat> things just seem to be easier. I'm not sure why. Well, I know why, but um, it's, life's gotten a lot better since I made the decision to follow Christ. And then the decision to, to go on and take that next step and go into like a small group environment. Um, I'm actually in two groups now. I'm in a men's group, and then the, my wife and I have just joined a couples group, so uh, we're taking that next step. Another decision that I decided to make, and I'm very glad that I did, was to be baptized. Um, and part of that decision was I knew I had to stand up and tell my, my story, I guess you'd say my testimony. I felt like it was important that, that people hear my story. Maybe I'll help somebody with it. Um, maybe somebody will listen to it and relate to it somehow. 
So on January 18th, um, I was in the Banta campus and stood on stage and told my story and then was baptized that day. Another thing I've been able to do is, is volunteer. Um, I've helped tear down some sets and, and build some, and then I'm doing some weekend service work. I'm, doing, uh, I'm helping with the cameras, running some of the cameras. Part of what this is doing for me personally is it's making me feel more involved with the church. I'm part of it now. You know, I don't just feel like it's a place where I'm going to come out on Sunday and then go home and then forget about the rest of the week. This has been able to, it's kind of helped me been able to feel a part of this church. I feel like I'm growing more because I'm assisting with stuff. A year ago, I was terribly lost. And now my relationship with my wife is much better. My relationship with my children are much better. I feel I've had a, I have an actual direction in life. And I wouldn't have had that had it not been for our Savior kind of knocking me on the head and saying, look, this is, you need me. You need me to continue on. So I'm feeling blessed now that I've been saved. Before I talk here on the weekends, I ask, uh, I ask Jesus, I ask, I ask the Spirit of God to use my voice and my mind and my heart to say what he wants to say, to communicate it how he would want it communicated. I don't always get that right, but I ask. And I believe with all of my heart that at least this part, what I'm about to say right now, I have full confidence that if Jesus were here, if he were in the room, what he would say to you is this, I love you, I love you, don't ever doubt it, because I proved my love for you by dying on the cross for you, I've sacrificed my life for you, don't question it, just trust it, in fact, if you would like to enter into and receive my life, Jesus would say, my very life, my spirit. If you'd like my spirit to invade your life and bring your soul to life and inhabit your body, put your faith in it. You'll receive the forgiveness of your sins. You'll be filled with joy. You'll be filled with peace. As you walk with me, you'll, you'll sense that life is a little lighter, the burden is not as heavy. That's what he would say to you today. Come to me, he would say. Trust me, he would say. Put your faith in me. So if that's where you're at right now, and you would like to heed those words, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of faith, a prayer that says to Jesus, yes, I accept. Yes, I will be caught up in this life. Yes, fill me with your spirit. Yes, I believe that you died for me. Make me your child. If you feel led to pray that prayer right now, I'm going to lead you in it. You can close your eyes and bow your head. And in this very holy moment, you can become a child of God. You can receive eternal life. Pray this to Christ right now. He's listening. Dear Jesus, I accept. I receive. I believe. 
trust that you died for me on the cross, that your sacrifice was sufficient to wash away all my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your peace. I trust you. And help me from this day forward to honor you with my life, to obey your words, to follow you as closely as I can with the guidance of your word and the guidance of your spirit. I pray this in Christ's name. If you just prayed that prayer, one of the things you're going to need is a guidebook. And isn't it ironic <laughs> that the Holy Spirit and God, and God and the Holy Spirit, <laughs> has given us a guidebook. And we want to give you one of these Bibles today. It's a one-year New Testament because we believe with all of our heart, with all of our heart, that the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word of God, and as you take these words into your heart and into your mind, He will begin to show you how to live this new life, how to develop new perspectives, how to experience new emotions, and how to tap into new abilities in your life. And so if you pray to receive Christ today, if you're in the balcony or here on the main floor, please go grab one of these New Testaments. There's tables back here to my left and to my right. You just say, hey, I prayed to receive Christ today. And they will put one of these in your hands. So not, I don't just want you to take it, though. I want you to begin reading. And today's reading, isn't it ironic that today's reading is Luke chapter 15? I promise you I did not plan that. Pretty awesome stuff. We are on a relentless pursuit for people who are relationally lost from God because people are insanely valuable to God. Let's give God glory today. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this platform, this opportunity for such a time in the history of the world to make as big of a difference as we possibly can for your honor and for your glory, preaching the gospel, meeting practical needs, present, presenting grace to every man, woman, and child that we can. We pray for your continued favor upon this ministry that, that we might bear much fruit for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love you. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.